Deadwood Soundwell. This podcast contains explicit language and plot spoilers. My name is Charles R. Horgan. I am a lifelong movie buff and a Purple Heart veteran. Recently, I've been revisiting my complicated relationship with the most action-y of action genres, the war film, with my dear friend, Dr. Aaron Donaldson. Hit the chorus! What am I gonna do? I can't survive on my America. If the worst is true, is it just a waste of time? Hey, Aaron. Hey, Charles. This is the last batch of our season. Last official batch discussion. Yeah. Day of days with zombies? Oh, yeah, with a day Z. <laughs> yeah, right. We watched, I have it here, there it is, The Longest Day from 1962. One of the most ambitious undertakings since all quiet on the Western Front and gone with the wind comes to the screen with Daryl F. Zanuck's production of The Longest Day, based on Cornelius Ryan's universally acclaimed bestseller. Its cast of stars represents the top talent of four countries and has never been equaled in size and importance in the history of the industry. Here are some of them. Overlord from 1975. Overlord, the most haunting and hypnotic film to be made about the war and what it was like to have to fight it. Starring Brian Sterner, David Harris, Nicholas Ball, and introducing Julie Neeson as the girl. We don't know where we're going until we're there. And Overlord from 2018. Three months ago, I was cutting grass in my front yard. The mailman shows up with a letter from the army. Now I'm here. No idea where I'm going to end up. What is this? A thousand year army. These thousand year soldiers. How do you feel about your Day of Days batch? We landed here because I wanted to fake you out on uh, Saving Private Ryan coming up as the final episode. If you listened back, mission accomplished. <laughs> but I also thought maybe Lord of the Rings. So, you know, I, was, yeah. I wasn't too duped. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. You, you knew that there was a, a, a quick one coming. Yeah. But we do need to talk about the Day of Days. It fits largely into the American mythos, and I don't think somehow we – I feel like we avoided it throughout most of this season. I don't think we had any other D-Day movies. No. It just weighs heavily over our, our history, and we mythologize it. You know, we – what's the word I'm looking for? We elevate it in such a way, you know, it's the good war. It's revered. Yes. In ways that the Alamo generally can't be, mm-hmm. and Custer's last stand – truly ought not to ever be (laughs) right you know this is we tell ourselves america will tell ourselves that this is who we are and what we stand for and the question i have before you tell us like how the batch evolved is like is normandy the most important cinematic battle in american history 
I feel unqualified to say that, but it generally feels true. What do you think about that? Are there other battles, single battles, that movie representationally have a bigger imprint? I know Saving Private Ryan's a big part of this, but The Longest Day came out in 1962, and it was the biggest selling black and white movie until Schindler's List, we said. Yeah. I'm not quite qualified, I think, to answer. I think cinematically, yes. I wonder how pervasive it was in everybody's psyche, Normandy, D-Day, June 6th, in the American mind. Like, how we can't let go of 9-11. Like, I wonder if they think about that. Yeah. Because we still think about it today. Like, we still commemorate D-Day. We don't say never forget, but we will never forget June 6th. Like, I mean, it is the... Day of day. Right. Yeah. Because because also D-Day represents something different. It's like now you you're on the offensive against the the true evil enemy. Yeah. It's more of a victory yeah. than 9-11 is, which 9-11 is more of a remember the Alamo sort of yeah. situation. Yeah. You could make the argument that 9-11 is one of the most important cinematic battles. Hmm. We've talked about how 9-11 changed representations of catastrophe. It does feel like Normandy is super important in how movies in particular imagine historical battles. Mm Mm-hmm. How did this batch come to be? I mean, there there was definitely a lot of them. Big Red One touches on, on D-Day in a big way. Let's go. 1942. There probably wasn't a worse way to grow up. Don't panic. It's a bushwhack. These are the boys of the Big Red One. They're not boys anymore. But we'll get to that because I think I just want to watch, sit down and for a month, just watch three of Samuel Fuller's movies. But I wanted to do it because because of Saving Private Ryan. So it's like, well, let's look at everything around Saving Private Ryan so that by the time that we eventually get to it, we have all of our cards in our hands. It would have been such a fascinating pairing with any of these movies. Mm-hmm. Yes. If we could have a four-movie batch and watch that movie with these, and we, when we do watch it, we'll check back on this batch. That's the fun part of keeping a catalog. But. Right, because my sister from the very beginning when we saw Saving Private Ryan had said that it had felt derivative. Move fast and clear those murder holes. plenty of beef between men. Five men to shoot the opportunity. One man's a waste of ammo. Stand out of your weapons. Keep those actions clear. We'll see you on the beach. That it didn't feel like anything new aside from the grotesque, blunt depiction of violence. And I think after watching a lot of these movies, I agree. Right. I don't think that. I know that because I've watched Saving Private Ryan a million times and it does not hold up. Nodding emphatically. In a lot of other ways. And we found it in the literature saying like this movie is like explicitly just taking from lots of other movies. Mm-hmm. I cannot find the article that compared Saving Private Ryan to The Longest Day. And that was the first article we had from the very first episode of The Batch. And it said that Saving Private Ryan, the only real thing about it is the the so-called blood and guts and everything else about it is fake and derivative. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, incredibly influential. Massively. And I've said before that Saving Private Ryan feels like a proof of concept for Band of Brothers. What made you decide to join the paratroopers? I wanted to fight with the best, sir. Tonight, we're going to have to cross the river. These crowds are going to catch some help. We're going to have to find another way into Germany. Easy, you'll head up the mountain through the Obersalzburg. And every video game to come afterward cribs from Saving Private Ryan and Band of Brothers.
Move fast, spread out. Portside, you with Pal. Starboard, you with me. Head for cover and get to the shingle. I'll see you on the beach. And then we see again the Band of Brothers influence go to video games and then elevate it again back to movies with the same sequence with Overlord 2018. That was one of my favorite touches last episode was where you kind of situated it as an echoing back and forth production wise where video games are now explicitly being like so unreal is pretty cool and we can do some pretty cool things and and this has been true for cinema you know at least since tron tron enter its world this summer (laughs) no one's super shocked by this in the context of rendering war but also explicitly this battle this one battle you definitely see that back and forth emerging. Do you see an evolution in representation from Longest Day to Overlord to Overlord? In terms of like, I mean, one of the things you had said is that The Longest Day is an officer's movie. Yeah, that's for sure. Okay, run me up the hill, son. And I think that is true, and I think it is egregious. And one of my questions for you is, is that the worst sin of the batch? <laughs> it's the view over like the day of days exclusively from the standpoint of the officers and whistle our way off the beach at the very end. But um, to get just on a cart with your broken foot in there instead of being <laughs> yeah, left behind. To, to just go back to like your point, representation-wise, the like the, the the grunts are the grunts. The the dudes playing cards are the dudes playing cards. I feel like that's true in almost. I don't know. Dude, we don't see cards in the 2018 Overlord. We open in a plane that's got 90 minutes until things happen that are. No, we got to see cards. Where are they gambling in 2018's Overlord? Playing cards with. He's playing cards with a little kid at the end. He's like teaching him. I mean, the, the answer I want to give you is no. Do you think so? Do you <laughs> think there's major representational shifts going on in terms of just the key structural players that we need to tell this story? I think that there somewhat are. Overlord 75 is completely a view from the bottom. Yeah. Chest us round and round the barrack square And now we're on the road to anywhere Your life is predestination. Right. No (laughs) one's in the know We're singing as we go Oh, we don't know where we're going until we're there. <laughs> Chilling. <laughs> and everybody is just beholden to it, you know, and you just go along with the with the machine. You have to walk. It's not many miles. Are you up for the camp? Yeah. They're a bit late, son. The others got in last night. I know. Oh, well, never mind, son. You have to walk. <laughs> it's not many miles. <laughs> longest day you're right longest day is an officer's movie in the way of like a civil war narrative you know like it's still from that point of view yeah and then overlord there's not an officer in there there's like the sergeant that gets killed at the beginning but he's a sergeant any of you crouch got a cigarette (laughs) (laughs) you know like we don't even really see officers except bad Mm -hmm. guys Mm -hmm. and the dennis quaid look alike at the Mm -hmm. end and that was it and I think that that is a POV shift that has happened definitely over the years. If Overlord 18 would have included officers, built as it is as a kind of parody, but also a replication, it's safe to assume that the officers would... I mean, because what, what Overlord does not do, we talked about this last episode, is it doesn't really change, right? It changes the representation, but it doesn't really change the representation. It just shows us the same character mm-hmm. with a depot instead of your classic white guy sitting there doing the thing. So if they had included an officer, I think it's fairly safe to say that it would not have necessarily needed to change anything. You know, like no, not as I mean, you could have written a lot of fun officer character in right. there that wasn't even a bad yeah. guy. It could be a good one, like whoever, and a bad one, like whoever. There's plenty of those, right? Right. <laughs> I mean, the 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 bad German was an officer, but the uh, 
Yeah, yeah none of the I feel Americans. Like the German officers, we've said, show up quite a bit. And Heather again pointed us to in- Instagram to the skit, which is who again? It's Smith and Jones. Here it is. I am Ruber. As you can see, I am the Nazi general who is always being fitted for a new uniform. <laughs> I am Stumpf, the Nazi general with the steely streak to my character. You will find that I'm always removing my gloves. So. Gentlemen, allow me to introduce myself. General von Dunkel. I'm the slightly pervy general. <laughs> Und I may also be a little bit gay. Heiligla! Heiligla! Good evening, gentlemen. I am Kessler. I am the easygoing general who does not need to salute properly. Heiligla! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The German officers seem to be fairly consistent, I would say. Although the stencil for the white American officer at the end there is pretty typical <laughs> as well. Like he almost kind of reminded me of yeah. the guys interviewing Chekhov at uh in the in the Enterprise when he got captured. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah. So there is there is definitely a stereotype that is filled, but that guy's not like we don't want to see stories about that anymore, I guess. Yeah. So for the folks that haven't um, watched all of these movies or some of these movies, just as quickly as you can, Charles, how would you describe 1962's The Longest Day? Longest Day is a classic old Hollywood epic about D-Day, and it follows a bunch of different characters played by just a veritable who's who of stars from the era of the late 50s and early 60s. As much as you would love to say it is derivative, it legitimately has some stunning, stunning shots in there. Yeah. Yes. That single shot overhead of the fight through the town is truly stunning. And you're just never going to see that in a movie again no without cgi heavily heavily adding to it it stacks up to anything in saving private ryan or anything in overlord from 2018 it's it's epic yeah yeah so it's groundbreaking it's epic it's also derivative and we said it had Avengers vibes. It had real Avengers vibes because it's like, here's all of our heroes and they've all come together to defeat the enemy. That was a good note there. Oh, yeah. And it was just chock full of like cameos from lookalikes that never did anything else, but just look like Omar Bradley. Yeah. <laughs> the Eisenhower stuff is also obscene. <laughs> My favorite of the batch, probably your favorite of the batch. I don't know. I have other things to say about this and compare it to other movies. Overlord 1975, what's going on here? Overlord 1975 is a British film that uses a lot of um, newly declassified um, footage from the preparation and the devastation and lead up to D-Day. Banal footage and horrifying footage and and truly beautiful and awe-inspiring footage. Just mesmerizing. And it also follows the story of a young British guy. Tom Beddoes. That is joining the military. Not just joining, he has been called up. And he just goes along with, we just follow his training, and we follow his anxieties and his thoughts. And it's a fucking great movie. It's reductive in the way that Jarhead is reductive in that it appears to be doing the thing, but it's not doing it the way everybody else does the thing, and that begs very scary questions. I I focused on the image of him standing in the parade ground with all the lines, and he's too late to do the parade Mm -hmm. and the in-processing, and we focused on... The picture of him and Janie in the Higgins boat at the end. These are kind of reductive shots, but they're shots that really make you feel for this character, even though he knows he's going to die, but he's not really afraid. He, like you said, it's, mm-hmm. he knows where he's going and there he goes and the movie's like, there he went. Yeah. And it's up to you, I guess, to think as to whether or not we should be a party to that because everybody in the culture at the time seemingly just... Yeah shakes his hand and pushes him along into the meat grinder. Yeah. You did say on this show and everything we say on this show is solid factual that in 2018, they remade Mm -hmm. overlord from 1975 and tell us what happened then. 
Well, they change it, um, you know, because maybe that we don't want to watch in 2018, especially with 1917 and Dunkirk out. We don't want to watch a British story again. So they have retconned it into an American story now about the airborne. And we imagine what would happen if Tom Beddoes didn't die and he was instead uh, like a 101st airborne dude from, from Louisiana who then has to fight nazi zombies right Mm -hmm. and there are two black characters in the 101st airborne that's all we'll ever say about it there's three three you keep saying this i missed one going by the first time but again Mm -hmm. that's all we're ever gonna say about that unless you listen to last episode (laughs) uh Alyssa ember smith's paper blackwashing versus whitewashing we have recorded the dirt maps and edited the dirt maps on this. It's really good. Really appreciated that conversation. It was fun. Bonkers. Your takeaway was that it is definitely retelling white stories with black characterizations, but because it's a horror movie and it is so bonkers, you know, it's accomplishing. And I think she agreed that there's representational accomplishments to be made, mm-hmm. but no one is pretending it is an anti-racist movie because it's not doing any of that. It's not doing any of that. But I think right. that it is because I was watching great north the other day i like heather and i had caught up on all of our other shows and and then i realized i had like 15 episodes of great north to watch i was like oh what a treat and i had forgotten that one of the characters is gay even if it doesn't necessarily add to the story right having the representation there yes is just good to get you used to it because then it doesn't you're not like a fucking ignorant dipshit who who right. refuses to learn anything else about anything that happened after you were 10. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that Overlord is less problematic I think than Hamilton. Yeah. And I love Hamilton <laughs> even though now I find it cringy kind of but at the same time it's like it's a bop. <laughs> yeah. She gave us three points. She's like, the first point is, is it statistically reasonable that this person is there? And in the case of 2014's Annie, she's like, yep, and yep, and yep, all the way through. In the Shawshank Redemption, she's like, yep, and yep, and yep. And we said with the 101st Airborne, statistically, if they were not segregating, it would make plenty of sense that there would be black people in the back of that airplane getting ready to jump. They were in the army at the time. They just weren't being put into these units. So the second test is, do they represent their experience as a black individual? Or do they just tell a white story as a black person? And we agree this is kind of where it falls through. And then the third one is, do they move the plot in meaningful ways? Do they motivate the plot? And Adepo makes really important decisions fairly late in the movie. But, um, you know, he does. He moves the plot. And I think you're right. Like she said that with Annie, with um, the Shawshank Redemption, these representational shifts are really important in a lot of ways. Here's my question I think this is a safe question, too. If we took a poll of random people that we found, especially younger people, the kind of people that would have watched these movies, do you think it is most likely that they have seen 2018's Overlord? I think that's probably true, because it's most recent. I would hope so, because mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. honestly, I, I just enjoyed the movie, and I would like more movies along yeah. those lines, because huh. I don't think it was also that expensive, although it looked great. But I don't think many people saw Overlord. Because I didn't know Overlord 75 existed till Ebert wrote his article about it in like 06. Did not hear of either of them. Yeah. Yeah. You brought them to me. You brought both to me. The budget for 2018's Overlord was $38 million. That's a- Holy shit. That's like like a drop in the bucket. That's a drop in the bucket. Yeah. That is literally a drop in the bucket. I was comparing movies like um, District 9, which was $30 million in 2009, to Contact in 1997. I sent you this. Contact is four times as expensive as District 9. So thirty million sounds like a lot to most people, including me. But if you're a Hollywood studio making this movie, you're like thirty-eight million. Let's go. Let's green light that. Totally. And it's good. It's good. It's like it's a fun, scary movie. Like it's a it's the kind of movie that I would have loved to have discovered when I was twelve years old on television or something. Like this is that kind of yeah. movie that would have just. It's just scary enough to spook me, but also exhilarating enough, and we win at the end. Yeah to put me in a good mood at the end of it. Yeah. And so that's what I want from that this kind of movie. And because it's not actually trying to tackle or 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 make itself seem really historic or anything, it clearly does a tone shift after a certain point. Toxic Avenger at the at the crack of the door or whatever. Yeah. And and then it becomes just 
just a romp. If you're making something that has that much made up aspects to it, then right. why not put a fucking black dude in there or a woman or a Native American or this or that different people because you have a fucking you have zombies and goo underneath the French village that makes people into super soldiers. Yeah. You have a head on a spinal cord that's like begging for help. So it's okay to do the other stuff. But don't do a historical movie where you're like, I'm telling the story of the 101st Airborne and then put in a bunch of black guys where nobody's racist to them. <laughs> That's worse. Because then it's like, no, yo, you're letting them way <laughs> off the hook. This movie's already letting them off the hook, but this is this movie feels like I'm I'm reading a comic book with my flashlight underneath a blanket. You know, like this is what yeah. that movie feels like. I think my takeaway from this batch is that I still want more people to see 1975's Over- yes. Overlord. That's yes. the movie that I think we need more of that really stops and makes us think the one thing that 2018 is criminally successful at is making it a romp Mm -hmm. it is making normandy a romp there's you know i i I asked you about that famous picture of the dude up to his neck in the water from the beach but there's also pictures of dudes in planes or coming out of planes or something like that and i'm wondering how they feel about the roller coaster ride of that experience being such a prominent part of our cinematic vocabulary mm-hmm. that just the, the purely non-critical we all know this was the most important thing to ever happen anyway like here we go you know in full like let's make it as visceral let's put you in the helmet you know and I, as a kid growing up i too would have fallen probably head over heels into the first half of this movie and then i would have been very grossed out and made uncomfortable and would have been like i don't want to watch that movie ever again or at least i'm going to stop it you wouldn't have felt exhilarated when they uh when they punched and shot their way I am out of so it. fragile charles the minute they started walking down that hallway with the huffing and puffing i'd have been like i am done this movie's done it's it's it has paid for itself already this <laughs> i've seen what i want to see I definitely want to see the explosion as he runs out of the lab at the end. I'll just come back in for that. <laughs> I'll skip everything in between and you can tell me how great it is and make me watch it for a podcast like Slither. Um, <laughs> Mike, but but Overlord 75, to me, it is not boring. It is truly mesmerizing. But I do think a lot of those people, if we asked you random, pulled a bunch of people in and sat them in a movie theater, do you think Overlord 75 is too boring? I don't think so because Overlord 75 is short and also Overlord 75 has some of the most fascinating stock footage yeah. I've ever seen. Like, it's worth sitting there just to see the frickin' firework wheel that goes bouncing down the beach. And you're like, what the fuck? I've never even heard of or this Or the thing. flak fire in the sky with the planes. And- the flak fire, the, 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 like, it... Because those things are real, it rivets your eyes to the screen, I think. It's mesmerizing, we said. Tommy knows that he's going to die. Yeah. He knows it. He says it pretty early yep. on in the movie yep. that he's convinced that he's going to die. And always very placid tones. Very placid tones. Right. Very placid tones. And we keep watching it. And we keep watching it. Yeah. And he looks us in the eye and we keep watching it. Uh, yeah. He's in, the, he's in the jail and he looks at us as if to say, like, I know you're watching me. And if you keep watching me, I'm going to die. Your read on this just sat me up in my chair. It, it was really, and you know what? It's like, it could be just a mistake where he accidentally, you know, totally hits the camera with his freaking peepers. It's in the movie, though, isn't it? It's in the movie, though. But yeah. it's in the movie, and it seems like just for a moment, like we said, it, feel, it feels like if you were reading a book that says Grover gets killed at the end of this book. And you're like, and Grover's like, oh shit, I die at the end of this. If you read this and you keep turning these pages, you are complicit in my death. You turn the page and you see Grover in a Higgins boat with a bunch of his friends and they're training, hitting a bunch of rocks, just getting totally blasted in the waves. That that was like riveting. I was like, oh my God, I'm watching like a real bunch of dudes having a hell of a time. And then you turn the page, don't you? You turn the page and... And there's old Grover. Disembark as quickly as possible. Sitting there, we don't know where we're going till we're there. It's like the the line of Niven in um in Guns of Navarone. You know, like it's it's like all of these people are important human beings, yeah. and we're wasting them. Like yeah. as if 
if the movie business and the DOD ha- are so hand in hand with each other, with every movie that we watch that doesn't hold the DOD or the military complex accountable, are we just flipping the page again? Are we just another person in Tommy's life shaking his hand and pushing him on to his inevitable death? Oh, well, never mind, son. You have to walk. It's not many miles. And Overlord 75 got support by the War College. <laughs> it opens. Yeah. It is so derivative. It opens a la 1925's The Big Parade with a placard that says, Thank you to the militarists for their propaganda support because we definitely need to march people to the front from time to time and they understand that this is a key way to do it and gosh when Beddoes looks you in the eye it really begs a lot of questions there's a fourth wall break in um the longest day 1962 when eisenhower's character who we learned was cast basically because he had a great impression looks straight at the camera <laughs> dot doing the same work charles what's it doing there when he looks right at the camera what's your read on that moment <laughs> it just feels really uncomfortable it feels like he can do one face of eisenhower's <laughs> and that's it that one feels like a mistake it does that's yeah kind of what made me think of it when you're like it could be a mistake and i'm yeah. like no i've seen a fourth wall break that feels like a mistake <laughs> and i'm looking at his <laughs> mug <laughs> they hired me off of fiverr with that look you understand why eisenhower walked out of that's the that's theater. the moment it's that just i keep like, saying it's that's true. it yeah He was probably like, yuck. Yeah, he's like, it did not feel like that. And that, again, like the the movie is not, we can call that an error in production. It can be the most simple mistake in the world. Like we say, they cast someone who looks the part. They they almost got Ike himself, we read, which was just mind-blowing to think about, a sitting U.S. president or a former president. Donald Trump did it before he was elected. He will be in movies. Who? Let's get him off our show. Um, The point is simply this, that they don't beg important questions. Like, that is a truly mortal moment. And and in The Longest Day, the Nazis understand that Ike typically won't take those kinds of risks. But Ike is like, well, I typically don't do this. Let's do it. Smiles at the camera. Yeah, yeah. Aren't I a scam? With the whistling front and back. Do, 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 do. Do, 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 do. Da, 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 da. And, and Robert Meacham there just being like, we're going to get up this bleach. Chomp, chomp. Get up the bleach. Chomp, 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 chomp. I'm like, <laughs> this movie is the worst. This movie is the most egregious of the batch. In my mind, get bonkers with zombies and whatever you want, but do not make any more of these movies. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm. But... But I did love to see big old old Hollywood spectacle. As an epic, it excels. Yeah. It definitely has its its moments that made the movie not feel all that long. Is Overlord 75 an epic? Overlord 18, yes. The Longest Day, yes. Arguably, yes, for Overlord 75, but I don't think it has the formal components. that You cannot show me the footage that you need to in that movie without me being like, holy shit, that's fucking huge because of what the actual footage looks like so that is epic yes but it's not an epic you know well is it is it not an epic because of how we if the question is whether or not anybody's expendable in these situations Mm. then then who are we to say that his life up to that moment when he got shot wasn't epic yeah that in his mind he's living this romance that he only that only had like a couple hours in it and the rest is all that was pretty epic is all in his head and all of the production value behind that that stock footage is pretty fucking epic normandy has to be an epic doesn't it because like in my mind i'm like the longest day seems to strip a lot of that out and that is part of what i want stripped out is when i think of an epic i tend to think of something that is fairly apologetic mm-hmm. maybe i'm too judgy in that capacity but i think of an epic maybe in the scope yeah scale of, of the stuff not 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 yeah and i'm and i'm saying that that i i feel like there could be a cynical epic i just maybe i can't think off the top of my head of one like of one that i would think of a traditionally like huge bars on the huge black bars on the top and the bottom of the screen it's about three and a half hours long and has a uh but overlord 75 is not the, the the we don't know where we're going until we're there that is precious but if you stop and think about it i do think that is cynical the other parts mm-hmm. of the war footage that you see to me are we've said fairly banal fairly basic fairly romanticized from Hitler's perspective. That could be a little cynical, I guess. Mm-hmm. 
I think it's doing yeah, a lot. Be, of that. that that one that one made me very uncomfortable because it's like yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Beto's going to get his book, and us looking at overhead shots with music, and then just landing on sitting with Hitler, just watching your conquests. Really fascinating. The batch is something else. I think that you know we've already covered most of the things that I really wanted to talk about. We did have, I did send you this. I don't know if you got to this, but we, for the longest day, because you hadn't seen it, we made a checklist. Mm. And uh, I'll just rattle it off if that's worth it. Yeah. Do we see a John Wayne style person without a chin strap? That's one. We got to get off this beach at some point, we said. A crumpled photo from home. Uh, there's a futile medic, a medic trying to save someone who is definitely dead. There's panic and blubbering. There's, um, we said this is the free square, the helo shot over the beach as the troops go ashore. Mm -hmm. uh, a big board or a map room was one. A dirt map was one. My favorite is when we argued a chalkboard is a dirt map. Exceptional topicality debate to be had there. Uh, <laughs> we needed a stealthy knife kill, we said, for Bingo Square. A cowardly guy gets brave. I don't know if that one hit. Maybe red uh, buttons there. Um, arrogant shithead in charge gets tons of people killed. Hero horn. News establishing exposition in the first 10 minutes. And the speech. That was our bingo box. And I think it's a fairly safe one. I kind of want to take it to like any Normandy movie going forward, I said, to just see how many of these hit. Mm -hmm. And depending on where you arrange them, do you line them up? Yeah, no, I, I think that uh, that's de that's definitely a, a pretty good one. We don't definitely don't have them all in Overlord. 75 or 18? <laughs> I think both of them. Yeah, both of them. I mean, they, they, they definitely don't have them all, but... Yeah. Well, if you black out your bingo box, like that's a pretty great bingo box. <laughs> <laughs> just all the squares. Wow. I don't think you're supposed to be allowed to do that. <laughs> no, I mean, I was going to call it earlier, but I kept I kept getting more. So I was gambling on the hopes that mine was a fluke. Just one person <laughs> just eating all the bingo scores. It's like everyone's watching the billions of balls tumble and no one knows how it works. And this one person just wins every time. Somebody has it like, you know, like four across and they're just about to get bingo. And then somebody's like, bingo. And then they lift it up and their card is completely blotted out. <laughs> well, I read the list because we made it about a movie you had not seen. Some of it we knew was coming. Um, some of it we just kind of tried to render based on what we call the production politics of all of these movies that we've seen. Mm -hmm. These are scenes that if you're going to tell this story, uh, probably could or arguably should happen again and again and again and again if you're going to tell the story. And I just thought that was kind of fun. Overlord 75 was an interesting one to me. When I sent you the text, Charles, that's the one that I was going down being like, I don't know that. I do think we saw people without their chin strap, but I don't know that we saw in quote like John Wayne without the no, chin strap. No, it must it would probably in Overlord seventy five it would be people transitioning between putting their helmet on and right. off. Or his buddy sitting next to him, chin strap. you know, being like it ain't no fucking joke. <laughs> right, He's not exactly. wearing his helmet Flopping. in that scene, but I can see that dude saying something like that being there. Um, gotta get off this beach. I wrote, nope, big exclamation point there, because old Beto's dude, um, <laughs> he dreams of making the beach up until the moment he dies. He doesn't even make it on the beach, yeah. When he has been hit and you see his boots hit the beach and him run up the beach and then it cuts back to him in the boat, that was so creepy to me. That was so creepy. <laughs> Again, I'm like... The brain hasn't even caught up with it yet. Yeah. The, 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 there's a short story, I can't remember, that was written from the standpoint of someone getting shot in the head, and it's like, what goes through? And the, the movie did that. It was weird. There's also the uh, the Ambrose Bierce um, occurrence at Elk Creek Bridge where the guy's being s hung, and then he imagines that he escapes the hanging and has like this whole thing, and then he's suddenly like snapped back in it as like the last life is drained out of his body. Un- pleasant <laughs> we got a crumpled photo from home mm -hmm. he he finds a german crumpled photo from home yeah and then he finds his own photo from home and so there i'm like again when, I'm, when we say overlord 75 is redundant it's redundant in a way that is begging questions it's like deconstructing the the traditional narrative yeah is is overlord 18 kind of doing that is that a weird like have we did we have a 
Back in the Saving Private Ryan times, would we have ever dared to make an Overlord 2018, or was it too... (laughs) Can you imagine? Too precious of a subject. If Overlord 2018 came out the same year as Saving Private Ryan, a la Failsafe and Doctor Strangelove, that would be some... I think that the conservative right in the night when did when did saving private ryan even come out uh 90 something am i 98 i was gonna say 97 something like that yeah right um anyway everybody would have lost their mind (laughs) they they would have said this is irreverent they would have said all of those it's exploitative is there any complaints that we ran into from critics i didn't see any I mean, I guess they're, they're no about um about Overlord 2018 and its historical That's, inaccuracies. Did anybody care about the it? The blackwashing versus whitewashing debate was as predictable as to be expected. We even found the mm-hmm. uh, white like blogger taking the correct stance in the worst possible way. Is how I'm going to translate that first one that I sent to you, <laughs> which is what I just. No, I'm probably doing on this show, but hey, what mm-hmm. do we fucking do? Um, <laughs> doing our best here. The irony is not lost on me. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> like, I did not find a a single reaction that is like this is disgusting, distasteful, historically inaccurate to the greatest generation. And what we've said, we found again and again, was some people comparing it to video games, and I feel like that is related. Mm. That. I don't like the argument that media desensitizes us to stuff. I think from the perspective Mm -hmm. of the stuff that I've read, it's too simple of an explanation. But media definitely reframes conversations and reorients perspectives in ways that change our value systems. And that can feel like a desensitization in a lot of ways. Yeah. It's like they've, they've made it more silly. But at the same time, they do like a bunch of stuff right that I love. Like I love to see the kick-ass like resistance lady freaking kill the like fighter way logically out of the zombie fight. You know, like that made me go, yeah, you know, like I guess like my really my own complaint is that if the movie was it would have been fucking rad if the movie could have smartly addressed racism in some sort of way i'm trying to do a better job at naming more people when it comes to directors that we want to direct movies like this we said predictably and i think rightly jordan peele would be exceptional i found a um teen vogue article because teen vogue is freaking amazing and it's called black women filmmakers are leading an exciting era for horror I'm going to credit them. Uh, Nia Dalsta's Candyman is one that they're talking about. Misha oh, Green's, yeah. um, what is that, Lovecraft County? Kate has watched this. I have not. Um, and then Nikki Yatu Jusu's Nanny. These are, these are. I'm like, what would uh, what would Overlord look like if, uh, if any of these people directed it? That, to me, is the zombie. Because th- they, would, mm-hmm. they, would ha- they would cut zero fucking bullshit out. You get it? There would be three moments, maybe. It would not be over the top, or maybe it would be, and if so, great. But it could be super subtle, and it could maintain yep. almost everything that is already there. There just has to be moments where Feldman looks at uh, Boyce and says, do you know what's going to happen if they find a guy named Feldman down there? Boyce can be like, oh, I definitely do. <laughs> I shouldn't yeah. even be in the airplane. I don't know. They need. They can do better than right. me here. But <laughs> or if he said, yeah, I don't have to tell you what will happen if they capture either one of us. It, it, there's so many opportunities, and they don't take them. And to me... You know, as someone who tries to decide when it's good to have a debate that is, I think, one-sided and broken, I don't want to have a post-racist debate about whether mere representation is enough, because I think everyone can agree that it is not. But I think we'll all also agree Mm. it is better than nothing. It's better than nothing. Yeah. And that feels like a retreat. Yeah. That feels like a retreat. But I will agree it is better than nothing. And I think that in many cases, starting the debate leads you to things like Alyssa Smith's paper that we read that helps. There are answers to this in the literature. And if you want to read what theorists say, you can. And that's good. And this movie did that in a lot of ways. I did. Is there a possibility like like there's no way that anybody 20... 20- 30 years ago would have watched Spartacus blood and sand because it would have been way too gay and horny. <laughs> and so, but, but as you get more use, you know, to the representation, probably would have burned the theater down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like it would have been insane burning your own house down out of rage instead of just changing the channel. Look at you Christian nationalists. <laughs> so, so by seeing the representation, you get more used to it and then you become more, then that makes you more open to consuming more stories of those of that ilk. Is there a possibility that seeing a blackwash story like Overlord would then make people more open 
to consuming stories, actual legit stories about the black experience in our military. I mean, it would be stupid that we would have to go about that, but does it lead to then more movies with black leads in it? That would be great. I would love to see that. What I love about that thesis is that it is free. It's on the open works from the College of Worcester, which is how open works research works. Um, it's long. Worcester. But, uh, is that it? Okay. No, I don't know. Worcestershire. Worcester. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, but what I was going to say is it answers this question in a very complex way. It can do that and also passively platform potentially racist perspectives mm-hmm. on otherwise just simply blackwashed characters, not anti-racist characters. And she and I spent a little bit of time, not much, but just skipped by the, the the point that like it opens on him being afraid of jumping and being told he's the worst soldier in the world. And this is against a backdrop of black people can't jump out of airplanes and be soldiers. And you don't have to be explicitly racist to be primed by generations of media that have, have set mm-hmm. us up to view it that way to then cast that on there. And at the exact same time, we are normalizing the representation of a 101st Airborne soldier who's scared for his fucking life, getting ready to drop in the most deadly moment of anyone's possible imagining, short of the door coming down of the Higgins boat. Like It sets in motion all of those things at the very same time. And the, the mistake people make with what I call blunt instrument criticism is we think because we say something is white supremacist that it is inherently bad and you should never watch it and don't talk about it and good criticism is like this is white supremacist and it's also anti-racist at the same time and so let's dig into how both of those are working so that we can really understand that and i just loved it i think that it does exactly both of these things and Mm -hmm. and the first opening i said was the most exhilarating drop into that i've ever (laughs) fucking seen if i want to get on the roller coaster just unabashedly bad pacifist like holy shit Let's hear some of that. Uh, so let's hear some of that audio from when that uh, the the drums and the screaming as the airplane busts yeah. apart. How about when he has to dig himself up from the bottom of the pond and he takes a gasp into his cloth parachute? Oh, yeah. Don't. <laughs> oh, we didn't get to the horror movie trope list that I had uh, for Overlord 18 there, but there's one of those too. A little bingo there. I, I don't have it. Who cares? The the obvious answer to the Overlord story is, like, look, Overlord, if you're going to make a, a fun, pulpy movie like that, cast whoever the hell you yeah. want. Throw a little bit of everybody in there. Yeah. There's a reason why Vin Diesel's triple X movies make a billion dollars, even though they make like $3 million in the United <laughs> States. And it's because he puts everybody from everywhere in yeah. there. It's fine to do that, yeah. especially if your movie is silly. But if you're going to make a historical movie, there are harrowing, amazing, heroic stories that have never been told about black troops that even though I don't necessarily want to see military heroism, that mindset perpetuated constantly. But at the same time, there are stories that deserve to be told if we're going to be telling them. And I think that all of them are going to be an indictment to our culture because, you know, it's like the narrative is always like, oh, Massachusetts 54th, you're going to show them that you're worth your freedom. Oh, Harlem Hellfighters, you're going to show them that you're worth your freedom. I got real bent out of shape because the longest day ends with the whistling up the beach. And I started the show saying Glory is my favorite movie on Earth. And it ends with this music while the Confederate flag is going up over Fort Wagner. And the outro epilogue is like, so they totally mostly died and they definitely didn't take the fort, but they paved the way for If this isn't an officer's narrative, I don't know what is. We said Glory definitely does a lot of those things. Mm-hmm. One, like, I'm still very torn on one of the biggest questions we started from the show is whether or not you can make truly make an anti-war movie that denies war legitimacy because the terms you have to adopt to tell a war movie give it legitimacy. And up until this point, I said Before the Rain was one of my favorites. But the problem with Before the Rain is, aside from the old AK-47, which is definitely a key character, like, definitely, the M1 Garand, the Higgins boat, but yes, AK-47, 
there's not a lot of war trappings in that movie. Mm. And Overlord 75 um, is definitively a war movie. Yes. It is definitive. It is, it is made a lot of, with a lot of propaganda, including apparently Nazi propaganda. And it is somehow, I feel, walking out of there just making me really crushed and heartbroken. And if I'm a young man watching that movie, I'm like, damn, I don't like that movie. I don't, it would not make me want to enlist. That's a basic question we've been asking. Mm -hmm. It accomplishes, I don't know that it denies legitimacy because I don't know it's necessarily trying to do that. It's trying to give legitimacy to the war because the war is real and it is huge. And you cannot be afraid for Beddoes if you do not understand the stakes Maybe Overlord is a movie where we could put the whole thing off screen. The bridge kind of does this. I'm grappling with it here, but I just I think I think Overlord, I think by showing it, it's challenging you even more. I think the yeah. by like those those bodies and stuff. Fleeting I think Overlord quick, goes pu- just punches. Yeah, but it's they're real. You just looked at a human body. And that's part of their legacy. Yeah. By by the war machine. And how many in those in those sweeping shots of collapsed cities. I think Overlord goes a little bit farther than condemning the military. I think it, it comes in from a point of view that is that assumes a resistance to military culture. And I think it's going farther and and asking us questions about our complicity as consumers of war stories and i think that is really interesting i don't know i mean maverick just made more money than titanic now and how long has it been out 30 something years after its prequel eight the biggest movie in end climbing i said when i wrote about it yeah. yeah so i mean i haven't seen it yet but from what i've heard it's totally I mean, as exhilarating as it is, it's totally problematic in the worst and worst ways. Looks like hot garbage. What the hell kind of mission is this? Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they going to get to teach us? Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. It's going to do it all wrong, Charles. <laughs> it's going to do it all wrong. Wouldn't it be funny if Tom Cruise was up there with his chin strap unbuckled? <laughs> How are we complicit in in perpetuating this, in building more war machines, and all of the waste that goes into fighting war when we're going to watch these movies and it's fucking awesome? Overlord 75 <laughs> made $3,333 uh, according to the Internet Movie Database. Charles, why has nobody seen this movie? I don't know why. Why um, not? More people got to... This is what you're asking, like like Top Gun Maverick. Top Gun Maverick. I, every time <laughs> I see the title, I hear Sarah Palin. Someone like me who's Maverick, you know, I do go rogue and I call it like I see it and I don't mind stirring it up. I like all three of the movies here in the in the batch. Um, truly, yeah. longest day. It wasn't as lame as I thought it was going to be, and at times it was fucking brilliant. It's a movie I watched for work that I enjoyed. Yeah, most of it. And but Overlord yeah. is legitimately Overlord seventy five is legitimately a great movie, and it is a Criterion movie, and you can buy it, Mind and Lord. you should buy it. And Overlord twenty eighteen is a hoot and rent it or buy it i (laughs) i just i recommend it but you're not but if you want to have the the deep thoughts and wonder about things it's going to be the overlord 75 but surprisingly out of this batch there's no movies that i would throw away the batch is so fascinating it really underscores the value of intertextual analysis where we put different movies together to study the way they take on different frames you get one text you get another text you get a third text and you make them talk to each other and they share storytelling frames and i'm i'm just pumped with the batch i was furious that (laughs) overlord 18 was the last movie for our show but i totally understand why and i absolutely that the whole video game back and forth at the beginning and 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 begging questions about you know just the roller coaster ride of war compared to the one that came right before it with the same name. Yeah. 
the first one you get when you search for Overlord is now going to be um, the zombie movie. And that, you know, happens, but there it is. We would say what's next, but um, this is it. 11 Batches is season one of The Real War Project, and we are definitely going to take a break. We want to come back. We don't know when. Um, we've been saying there's going to be a Patreon. There isn't, but there will be at some point. And when there is, you could help us by putting some money into that. Mm-hmm. We're going to put some dirt maps out. We're going to have a wrap-up episode after this where we look back over the whole thing and ask what we've learned, and we want to do another thing where we give some awards away, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got to do a wrap-up for the for the entire season and see which movies stand out in the worst and best ways. Some performances, some moments. If you listeners have any moments that you thought were great from these movies or fascinating thoughts that you had, even if you think that they are dumb film school thesis bullshit, that's the stuff I especially want to hear. Especially. Yeah. <laughs> Get a hold of us with those things at what is it, Real War Project? Yeah, it's Real War Project at gmail.com is the email. You can find us on Instagram if you look for Redwood Sound Labs on Instagram. That's where we are there. Mm-hmm. I've got a list here. I sent it to you of all of the movies that we've watched. Let's hear them all. Um, and <laughs> yeah, we're, well, on the tape for fucking ever, wouldn't it? Um, no, they can scroll through our feed if they want. If they're listening to this, they can look at them all and they'd see them all there. And one of the things I say is it's hard to do all the reading. Watching these movies took for fucking ever and was exhausting and I didn't want to do a lot of it. But when you've done it, you can look at this list and each one like speaks to you. Mm -hmm. They say things to you. And it is so fun to just look at a document like this and just be like, there's so much happening in this list. And I just want to talk about all of it more. So there will be more real war. It's just going to be a question of when. Uh, And you can help us by telling us you enjoy the show. Mm -hmm. I would also maybe on the... In between seasons here, Aaron, I was thinking maybe we just yeah. not so in-depth as we do on here with our three-hour episodes, but uh, maybe we watch Band of Brothers and The Pacific. Or Spartacus, you said. Or Spartacus. And um, on Hulu, they have a miniseries of Catch-22. Mm. We said mm-hmm. maybe Discovery mm-hmm. we wanted to dig into. Maybe Discovery or Strange Dex New Worlds. Let's just do a bunch of... I am Let's in the process, Charles, track. just for you. I'll tell you to keep myself accountable. I'm looking for a Star Trek writer. It's hard to find the emails to people that write <laughs> to Star Trek. But if anyone knows how to get me one of those, let me know. Because I'll be like, yes, I like a uh, Cal Poly uh, podcast. Do you want to be on my show and talk about the pacifism of Star Trek? <laughs> Maybe they'll say yes. <laughs> yeah, the pacifism of Star Trek <laughs> and, and undoing war, uh, aggressive masculine war narrative in stories that are supposed to be exciting. Yeah. Yeah, we said just like uh, Jonathan Sales, they'll be like, a podcast? Heck yeah, I can't wait to be on a podcast. <laughs> what an incredible yeah. opportunity. I would love it. No money? <laughs> Let me Great. put down episode six of New Horizon or whatever it is. Um, Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Well, Aaron, I don't know about you, but I'm going to um, try to cut myself off of my parachute as I dangle from this bell tower. <laughs> All right, Charles, I'm uh, just hanging out here on this airplane that's been blown in half. And instead of climbing up the front to go out the front, I'm just going to let go and go out the back and see how that turns out. Okay, see ya. See you later. Bye. <laughs> I listened to the um, to the LBJ orders pants Hello? Hello? Um, recording uh, Mr. again yes, just recently because it's been a really long time since I've listened to that. And, it's three, um, yes, it's, it's so fucking funny. Uh, Joe, uh, uh, is your father the one that uh, makes uh, clothes? Yes, sir. We're all together. It you starts at, like you because you can just imagine the Hagar family. Please stand by. This is the White House. Please stand by from a uh, call from the president. And they're like calling everybody to like gather around because it's like, oh, my God, we're going to freaking talk to the president. And then he's like, leave me at least two and a half, three inches in the back where I can let them out or take them up and make these a half inch bigger than the waist. Make the pockets at least an inch longer. I need some room, extra room from my nuts down to my bunghole. Another thing, the crotch down where your nuts hang. It's always a little too tight. 
So when you make them up, give me a inch that I can let out there uh, because they cut me. Feels like I'm riding a wire fence when I've gained <laughs> 10 to 15 pounds per month. It's just like riding a, a wire fence. When I gain a little weight, they cut me under there. So leave me, uh, you never do have much margin there. Let's see if you can't leave me about an inch from the, where the zipper in, uh, ends uh, round uh, under my, back to my bunghole. Overhead a shot of the wild. family looking at the speakerphone with a child wide-eyed and very confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're shooing him off. <laughs> yeah. All right, then. So I can let it out there if I need to. Woman swoons, falls back. So, so anyway. It's historical. <laughs> it's historical. My God. He's just on the toilet fucking drinking a beer. I should teach these moments of presidential public speaking. Let's see if you can't leave me about an inch from the, where the zipper is. Pins uh, round uh, under my back to my bunghole. Zach and Matt are two veteran horror movie enthusiasts discussing their favorite and not so favorite horror films. Scary movie fans beware or listen to watch no evil. News, reviews, and deep dives of the television series and film franchises you love. Take a tour of the popular media world with Biggs and Brandon on Not Safe for Network. Charles is a Purple Heart recipient and cinematographer. Aaron is a professor and critical cultural scholar. Together, they explore the narrative, affective, and production politics of war cinema on The Real War Project. That's R-E-E-L War Project. You can find all of these shows wherever you find your podcasts. You can find all of these shows on Redwood Sound Labs. 